we were speaking about the interpretation of, of our perceptions. And so ISIS is interpreting their perception of the world around them being horrible and that they need to take action in this form of behavior in order to correct it based on their perception. And they are absolutely passionate about it. And that's why my statement was they're even willing to blow themselves up for their belief system. They'll actually put a bomb on their body, walk into a place, and blow their life out for the sake of a concept, for an idea. That is passion at its extreme, to do that. Imagine if we could become that passionate about the things that we believe to be good and true and loving and fulfilling in life. If we took that level of passion to it, the kind of success stories that we would make of our lives. And so it's when I have in those moments been passionate to that degree about something that I see inevitable results because the universe cannot do anything but match my passion. That's just the way it works. So here we go on to say, if we are using perception to justify our own mistakes, our anger, our impulses to attack, or lack of love in whatever form it may take, we will see the world as evil, destruction, malice, envy, and despair. Why is this so? It's talking about the perception that we have toward anything. And this is beginning to try to define what the Course speaks of forgiveness. It's forgiving what the illusion of what we're seeing. So when I look at something that is atrocious in life, I'm perceiving based through the filters of my own mind, what I'm programmed to believe about that. So let's use something a little more benign than the actions of ISIS, something that we might be able to relate to with a dual perception that we could swing this way or that way. Let's talk about polygamy. In our society, if, if we see polygamy going on in our immediate world, like somebody married to two people at the same time through deceiving them both, and actually sustaining two households in, 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 um, in deceit, you know, saying that he's got a job that keeps him traveling and that it's... His region is in Tallahassee as well as in Fort Lauderdale and must spend one week there and one week here and told both families the same thing. We would be terrified over that concept and find it completely unacceptable. Or we would judge it as wrong. We would judge it as wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah bad. Ba really bad, yeah, exactly. And, and, and maybe... Some people in this culture might even denounce them, knowing that that's taking place. And yet, that is taking place today in the world at large, legally, in many, many cultures. Mm -hmm. Completely acceptable, 
legalized and looked upon as something really good. And in other cultures, like the Latin American culture, it is not legal, but they, they don't look at it as illegal. And they do it kind of, we do it, but we don't talk about it. And most Latin men, especially wealthy ones, in Latin America have mistresses and have second homes and have kids in other, in, in, in other relationships, children out of other relationships, whether they were married to that person or not. And it's perfectly normal because it's constantly happening. It used to be rampant. Now it's just frequent. But it's been accepted as something very, very normal. And we don't see that as okay at all. So it is truly perception. And so if, if I, I, having now lived in Latin America for 12 years, came to a much deeper understanding and acceptance of their culture for them, that doesn't mean that I'm going to adopt that way of living or believing that it is good. I don't believe it's good. I have my own references of what is good and not good. What, I, what did happen is that I got to the point of accepting it fully for them and passing no judgment around that behavior whatsoever on any of them. And many of them have become very close dear friends of mine that I had to really let go of that, otherwise that friendship could not be sincere on my part. It would have been a farce. And so in, in my letting go of that judgment, in my forgiving my interpretation of that behavior, that means I forgive the behavior as well as my interpretation or my perception of that behavior and pass no judgment on it whatsoever. So that allows me to feel no anguish, no recrimination toward them or toward myself for having forgiven them on something that I consider to be immoral in my life. And so at first I was even having a hard time, how do I forgive something that I consider to be immoral? Well, because they don't consider it to be immoral on any level. Yeah. Can it also be, it really doesn't even, beyond what they consider to be moral or not, it really is accepting it because it's here. Accepting it because it is. So... To bring in, this isn't a calm thing either, but to bring it into U.S. political and economical scene now, some of the struggle that we have with what we're perceiving, running up against what different ones of us believe, is because our very own, we have a sense that our very own value system here within this culture now has things that are really opposed. So, I mean, it's one thing to accept another culture, right? but when we can't 
even justify it with that. It's like, this isn't another culture. This is here. And so we are seeing that there's this crying for the old days. You know, it used to be so wonderful. Well, it, it really wasn't wonderful then either. But it's that internal struggle of how can I get comfortable with what I'm perceiving and change it in such a way that I can accept it, because here's where we are right now, and then what, what is mine to do about that? How can I see it differently? How can I see it in a way that I can be, in, at least in my own mind, of some positive benefit? At peace, at least at peace, at least at peace. With, with what's going on around. Well, th that's what I had to do in this particular case. For me to be at peace with the friendships that were being extended to me by these people that were doing something that was completely outside of my comfort zone, I had to forgive. I, and I had to forgive myself afterward for forgiving them for something that I considered to be not good at all. Right. So it's always forgiving outwardly in order to forgive myself inwardly. It's always that way because every time I forgive something outside of myself, it's going against my core belief at that moment in time. For me to forgive something is that there's something that I'm considering as an impasse against me. And so then if I'm forgiving it, that means I'm accepting it. And then I need to forgive myself at that moment for accepting something that I find unacceptable. So it's... Life is always a two-edged sword. There's always two sides to everything. That's just part of the way that this dimension is structured, where everything is in contrast. There's, there's a pulling, there's a tension between both energies in every aspect of this manifested reality. And so as we begin to recognize that tension, that polarity, that dichotomy, the mirror contrast. I mean, when, when we see something mirrored, it's the exact opposite of the image of what is. And so, get this. I will never know my image as it truly is because I've only recognized it as my mirror image, which is the exact reverse of what my image really is. What you see here, I've never seen and will never see, ever. I'm seeing the exact reversal of what you're seeing every time I look in the mirror. And the only time I have the possibility of seeing myself as you see me is through you. The mirror that you are to me, which is not a visual mirror, it is a spiritual mirror, is the only moment in time that I can see me as I truly am. Because the glass mirror is always going to give me an inverted image of me. How often do we even get that idea? You know, when do we ever ponder that concept? that when I look in the mirror, I'm not really seeing me. And that everybody else is seeing something other than what I think they're seeing. Like where your hair is parted, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
that and everything else too. Everything else about it. So it's just life becomes so interesting when we begin to learn how to see ourselves as the reflection of others' responses to me. Because then I'm getting a real picture, a much, real, a much more real picture of who I am in this construct as a result of the mirroring that's taking place from each of the people that I interact with. That is much more the truth of who I am expressing as in this continuum than what I think about myself. That's just a perception, another form of perception. So what this is saying here is that if, if I'm going to focus on the evil, the destruction, the malice, envy, and despair that I perceive in the world outside, I'm only seeing that which is filtered through my constructs of my personality at this moment in time. And I can change my construct of perception at any point in time which is going to create a new filter for every sensorial input that I receive and therefore my experience of life is going to be different because my filter of that experience is different. So here, here the, the, use the word envy. We have all said at some point in time that person is so envious and that person is not nice to me because they envy me for whatever reason, because, because whatever reason. And so if I can choose to not deal with that person from a place of believing that they're envying me, but instead, which is a distorted perception anyway, because who knows what they're feeling for me. There's no way I can ever know what they're feeling for me. That's all contrived in my own mind to begin with. But I can choose to contrive something much more loving than that. You know, I can contrive hatred or I can contrive loving. So let's go and say, well, how do I feel when I'm believing that that person is envying me? Well, I'm feeling pretty lousy. It just doesn't feel good. So why don't I contrive something that feels better to me? So let's contrive something that feels more loving and better to me. And I can say, which is make-believe as well, but it's a better make-believe story. It's a love story. It's not a fear story. It's not a hate story. I can say that person is experiencing some sense of lack in their life or some sense of inferiority or shortcoming in their life that is so painful for them that they're expressing toward me in that manner that causes me to feel that they're envying me. And by coming from a whole different viewpoint, it doesn't mean that they're still not expressing the same way toward me. It's just the reason that I believe they're expressing that way toward me is the total opposite of what I believed before. And therefore, it's much kinder to the person that's going to allow me to express kindness toward that person because I'm going to have compassion 
and comprehension and patience around their shortcomings, knowing that they're suffering and that suffering around an experience of lack is causing them to behave that way toward me. So once I know that, I'm much more apt to be loving toward them and much more accepting of the situation as it is, knowing they're just coming from a place of fear and lack and misunderstanding at some level that I have no power over. So the power that I have is over my own perception and I can do something about that. So that's what this is talking about here. So every time that, that, that I feel that the world is negative and that the things going on around me are destructive toward me or malicious toward me or are causing me to feel a sense of despair, I can shift something in my perception around any one of those conditions to see it from the exact opposite. I can, I can look at it from a mirror standpoint Okay, remember what we said a few minutes ago about the mirror. If I'm looking at something that causes me to feel despair or envy, I'm looking at it straight on. Like you're looking at me straight on. But I'm not seeing myself the way you're seeing me. So if I'm looking at you straight on and seeing something that I don't like, I can simply look at the mirror image of that instead of it straight on. Because who I am to me is really the mirror image of me, is who I am to me. So why don't I look at the mirror image of you and see if I like that better? What is the mirror image of you? It's what I'm feeling about you. Is the mirror image of you is what I'm feeling about you. So that's what I need to look at. What I'm feeling about you you. Not what I believe to be true about you, what I'm feeling about you. And that's what I can change. Because what you see yourself as is not what I see you as. So which one is the real one? Well, that's all subjective. You are the real one to you, and what I perceive you as is the real one of you to me, or of that condition. So if the government situation is not pleasing to me, what do I do? I can vote when I'm allowed to. I can be, I can be proactive in expressing my heart's desires and my vision of love and unity and well-being for everyone and abundance for everyone, I can express what I believe to be the highest truth that I want to experience in the hope, with the hope, and the conviction that if enough of us unite with that vision, it will begin to come into fruition. But what can I do in the meantime around the conditions that actually prevail that are not pleasing to me? that I feel powerless over transforming. Well, what I can do 
with those conditions is to see them from a different perspective. So when I'm hearing our nation is in a crisis situation and that we have no security in this nation, I go, really? Then how come I feel so at peace and I can take walks at 1 a.m. in the dark on Fort Lauderdale Beach by myself and feel completely engulfed with well-being, peace, and protection? And why is it then that, if, that I know that if I pick up the phone and call 911 within a minute or two, I know I'm going to have support and response in this wonderful, amazing nation that I live in? And why is it that if they're saying there's an energy crisis that I don't ever feel an energy crisis where I have enough of the fuel that I'm meant to use for today because it's what's available today, I have enough of it and I use it wisely. And that I have enough electricity and use it wisely. And so then if life is so lousy and this country sucks, then why is my life so wonderful? Why, why, why do I feel like I live a charmed life that I am floating on grace almost all the time? How can that be when they're totally opposite? It's perception. It's my perception is all it is. It doesn't mean that, that we shouldn't become petroleum-free over time. No. It just means that I'm not going to get cancer over the breathing the air that I'm breathing because I don't have my nose up a tailpipe. Nor am I going to do that. And I also believe that I don't deserve to ever have lung cancer. So that's not my problem. I'm not going to focus on that. So my job is to move forward in perceiving in thinking and in believing over a repeated thought becomes my belief. Whatever I think over and over and over again becomes a new belief system for me. And so it's my job to expand and to deepen from a place of love, camaraderie, and unity in everything that is about life, about living. That's it. I don't need to do more than that. If I do that, and I'm a living example of that, then the person who is ready, willing, and able to recognize that in me will find it heartwarming, maybe even admirable, and want to emulate it and join me in that process. And therefore, there's no convincing on my part there's no justification on my part. There is no vindication, I am right and you are wrong. It's just living from a place of conviction. And that conviction is to simply express and manifest a sense of being in love with life and being loved by life and all that it contains. That's it. it this is so simple. This is like this. This is preschool. 
It's just not easy to do because we're so entrenched in the opposite beliefs from a deep, deep state of programming from, from our entire lifetime. So the work is to reprogram, is to get ourselves out of the trenches of the old programming because the concept is really simple. It's like, love, love yourself, love your life, and that will allow you to love your neighbor in all that you say and do, and then you're all done. That's basically it. Everything else just falls into place. So this is what this is beginning to talk about, in that all this we must learn to forgive, all of those erroneous perceptions we must learn to forgive. And why? not because we're being good and charitable, but because what we are seeing is not true. What does that mean that it's not true? If somebody, if somebody um, broke into my house and stole some things from me, did it truly happen? Yeah. The happening occurred. And so, am I really the victim? Am I the victim of theft? I'm not the victim of theft. I have been a co-creator with an individual that is experiencing a deep state of lack in their own consciousness and believes at a core level that they're incapable of producing abundance and prosperity in their own life and must take from someone else in order to have what they don't believe they're capable of attracting or creating in their life. And therefore, since I believe that I'm capable in attracting and creating anything in my life that I focus on with love and attention, I can easily replace those things that somebody else took out of a sense of erroneous thinking. Error in their perception, they had an erroneous perception, deep state of suffering to the point of risking their lives for heavy-duty incarceration, maybe even getting shot if the police happen to show up at the time it's occurring, losing their life. And so in their deep state of error in perception, they have behaved in a manner that is typically perceived as unforgivable. So I can either see my side of that coin, because right now we're playing with one coin and they're printed on one side of it and I'm printed on the other side and we're having one polar experience. One is giving without wanting to and the other one is taking wanting to. That's the polar opposite of that coin called theft and loss. What am I going to perceive from my side of that coin? Anger, resentment, hostility, vengeance, victimization, lack of prosperity. How am I ever going to replace it? Where's the money going to come from? Woe is me. Get on the phone, tell everybody. Everybody, pity me, big time. No, a little more, please. More. And now, come on, everybody dish out. 
I don't have enough. Help me out here. 4K TV, please. Or can I simply say, I just bless that person. Not the action. I do not bless the action. I bless the soul of that person because their state of suffering was so intense that it brought them to that behavior. And so then I accept the condition. I don't love it. I don't want it. I don't ask for it. Again, I don't want to repeat it. I simply accept it in that moment in time and say, this has occurred in my life as well as theirs, and I have no power over shifting all of the reasons, the what for of their life, but I definitely have the power of recognizing the what for in my life. What is this for in my life? Because there's a gift in that for me. There's a gift in absolutely every single second of my existence on this planet it is a gift for me and a loving gift from the universe to me so long as I can find the correct perception, meaning the right angle to look at it, because perception is only the angle at which I see something is the perception. So if the angle I'm looking at it from now is causing me a heavy sense of dis-ease, then I need to find a new angle to look at it from. And that'll be a new perception. So I can choose to say, in my life, for me, well, maybe, you know, I may not be clear on it, but maybe this will help me to have greater appreciation for all of the abundance in my life since I had really fallen away from that sense of heightened appreciation for the abundance that I have in my life. Maybe it will help me to recognize that I was really attached and identified with some of those things. And I can recognize that now because the loss of that thing is causing me to feel a sense of suffering right now. I'm suffering over the loss of that thing. It's not just that I'm saying, well, I'll find another one that serves me and suits me accordingly and fulfills that need. That would be okay to say that, but to say, oh my God, it's like they tore my heart out by taking that thing away. You know, So that could be the gift to me of awareness from an experience of theft. And so if an experience and a person is being used as an instrument to bring me the gift of awareness, where do I get off? in not blessing them when they're bringing me a gift of awareness around something that's radically important in my human condition. Excuse me, what is awareness? Awareness. Awareness. Awareness is, awareness, what is the correct word? Um, Tomar en conciencia. Tomar en conciencia. Exactly. 
Exactly. To see where my attachments are, where my consciousness around prosperity is, where my ability to forgive somebody that's making a huge mistake in their life that's destroying them, how, how much compassion can I have over the pain that they're experiencing and the dysfunction of their life? Because I could be there too. I, I'm only one step away from being right there at any moment in time. You know, you never know. You never know. I mean, I, I, literally, you never know. I could be, what, what if? What if? What if I were at the bank and somebody had legitimately taken $50,000 out of their bank account that they had worked for their entire life because they were going to buy something for cash that they had been saved for their entire life. And they had the right to take it out, and they did, and they put $50,000 in $100 bills. They prearranged it with the bank so that this was done. It was declared to the IRS that they were taking it out. Everything was done on the up and up, and they put it in their valise because they were going to buy something with that, and they wanted to do that. They wanted, For some reason, they wanted to do it in cash, or they wanted to give it to one of their siblings, one of their children, and they wanted it to be an impressive moment, and so they did it in cash for whatever reason. And as I'm walking out of the bank, and that person is walking out too, something happens, and that person is swept away by a thief, but the bag, the valise, falls on the ground. Sounds like a movie. Oh, my mind is nothing but a movie at all times. <laughs> my, my mind is a movie at all times. What am I going to do? Am I not? Am I that same thief that stole out of my home? If I pick up that bag, nobody's around me. I can pick up that bag. No one will ever know. Ever. Ever, ever. I've done nothing wrong. I didn't hurt that person. I, I'm not stealing anything from that person. I'm just picking up a bag that I saw fall on the ground. No, this is not true. This, this, well, this, this is as true as the life that we're living right here. Yeah. It's as true because it's all a huge illusion. And he, I forget how it was left, but anyway, he found $10,000 when he was cleaning that night. And he was just a low-income earner, a janitor. Right. He turned it in. Well, and imagine. he was in you know, the front page of the newspaper, and they did give him some kind of a bonus. They... It, it was identifiable. I don't recall now whether it was a wallet or an ID of some kind with it. But they, they found whose money it was. 
good. And that person had the good sense <laughs> to give him a nice, lovely bonus, but still, right. you know, it's like, could I do that? Right. I'd like to think that I would. We'd all like to think that we would. Well, this is... nobody's looking. Right. We really... Right. Th th that's why I cite this. And this is why I say, so is, is that kind of theft... Any different theft is nothing more than taking something that's not yours from someone else, and they're going to experience a loss. That's it. Someone's going to experience a loss, you're going to experience a gain, and it wasn't merited. That's theft. So how is that any different than someone breaking into my house? It's the same thing. Exactly. So it's all perception. Every bit of this is just perception. So this is where we are being challenged in this course to look at this at the deeper level and decide who really am I? What, who do I want to express as in this lifetime? And that's why it's telling us here that we can choose to change how we see anything at any moment in time. And what's that going to do? Mitigate our suffering and bring us into true alignment with who we are at the essential level, which is all. All. At the essential level, I will never experience lack of anything. It's impossible. If I'm connected with my higher self, with my infinite possibility of spiritual truth, I cannot experience lack. And a person who doesn't experience lack, doesn't even contemplate the idea of theft or picking up somebody's wallet and not saying something or of doing something mean towards someone else because I'm going to feel more important in the saying something mean to someone, cutting someone in order to elevate myself. So the whole course is about, and every lesson is about, changing our perception to bring us to a place of knowing who we really are, and then coming from that place at every moment in this lifetime and turning this illusion of a dream world, this holographic expression of life in the third dimension, transforming it from a drama into what I said last week, into a love story instead of a drama. And that's going to be my new icon term because I used to use the word comedy, but now life doesn't have to be comical all the time, but it can be a love story all the time. And that is just something resonates in me about that whole concept of living life as a love story. And it doesn't mean only being in love with someone, it's being in love with life being in love with everything, with everyone, and with every situation. And we will find in the Course that it will teach us how even the experience of love in my own heart is what will actually transform a situation that I am experiencing that is labeled by me as unlovable. I don't love this situation. Love is what is going to transform it into something that I can find a loving, 
feeling about. It doesn't mean that things that are not my highest preference that I want to keep reattracting more of them. No. They've shown up once in order for me to decide I really don't want to have liverwurst again. Once was enough. And that's good enough. But I don't have to hate liverwurst and tell everybody how much I hate liverwurst. No. Simply, once was enough. That's all. It was good. I got to do it once. Good thing. One time. Now I know. Without having done it once, I would never know that I had a preference around something else. So it's not about having disdain for anything. It's about preferring something else. That's all. How we see it. Any questions at all about this? No. Tough stuff. I, I, I can see it on your face. Barbara, this is, this is Barbara's first week here, and I can see. Yeah, no, no, I know. But I can see how this, this is not the common way of seeing life. Correct, correct. How, how often do we walk down the street and perceive someone and, and say or at least think, look at how ridiculously dressed that person is. They look like an absolute clown. And you know that that person had to go to great strides to put that together that way. <laughs> you know, And they think that they look absolutely wonderful or they wouldn't have done it. Clearly would not have done it. And so that's just perception, you know? Sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I think, do people actually see me looking like this? <laughs> but they don't. I don't think they do. I look right. at a picture of myself. That's not the way I see myself in the mirror. So it's, it's all perception. You know, 50 years ago, our culture, if we were to have brought Aborigines from certain tribes over here, that were heavily tattooed because that is the custom of their tribe, their faces and their arms and their bodies, and they consider that high quality decoration and even at a spiritual level, many of them. We would have thought that that was an abomination to see, to see that. We, most of our culture was not at all in tune with that. Today, it's very common in our own culture. Very, very common. That's how our perception as a culture has changed around the tattooing of the body tremendously. You know, I, I can recall as a child that every form of body piercing was something about the natives in Africa. That's the only thing I ever saw was National Geographic or something in a, in a history book about tribes that did body piercing and it was like an anomaly it was something from a far far land well the far far land is my next door neighbor now <laughs> you know pierced everywhere and so god bless them all now it's not my choosing for my body and i get to choose what i want for my body but there's no judgment whatsoever no judgment and therefore, I can be 
at peace, fully at peace, over having a neighbor that I can be cordial and friendly to, even though that person is tattooed and pierced from head to toe. Could actually run around with no clothing and you'd never know you thought that they were wearing a whole outfit. It was just uncomfortable at the moment it happened, and it was that state of discomfort that was able to catapult him into finding that depth of his being for it to express fully and recreate everything from substance rather than from the material realm. So, and we, we are all tapped into that same flow of substance. It's just whether or not we recognize it that's, that's, it's going to manifest and show up or not based on whether or not we believe we're connected to it, have access to it or not. Yeah. So it's, it's five after eight. Why don't we take a five or so minute break and we'll come right back to this. So we're now back from our, our break and we'll get started again where we left off. Um, is there any question about what we were chewing on here? All right, then we're going to move on. And so 
It says here, all this we must learn to forgive, not because we are being good and charitable, but because what we are seeing is not true. So why would we ever hold a resentment toward anything or ill, ill feelings toward anyone or anything if we are in a place in our consciousness to be able to recognize that it is not true but simply an undesirable illusion. That's all. It's like what, something that's not true is a lie. Okay? So why would we, as educated, lucid beings, give credence to something that we've already personally identified as a lie? Why would we give credence to that? That's total insanity. To believe in something as true that I've already determined is a lie. Total insanity. So if we can remember that, every time that we fall into that mode, we might be able to bring ourselves out of believing a lie that we've identified as a lie. It's not that somebody else is telling us it's a lie. We've identified it already as something not true. So why go there? Does that make sense? Okay. Is, is there any part of that that is too difficult to swallow? Because now would be the good time to figure out how to swallow it. No? We're all good? Wonderful. Okay, so you, you should all be flying all week long out there. There should be nothing that's going to bring you down from your cloud nine. That doesn't mean there isn't going to be stuff that's going to show up trying to bring you down. Simply, it's not going to bring you down. All the stuff's going to show up. I mean, there are going to be birds flying through the cloud that's supporting you up there. There might be a jet plane going through it. There might even be a missile going through it. But if you're on that cloud, nothing's going to happen. The stuff's just going to go right through. It's going to come. It's like we say, in one ear and out the other. That's it, just in one ear and out the other. And that's how the world out there can be for us. In one ear and out the other. I saw it, but I didn't focus on it. I heard it, but I'm not listening to that. It touched me, but I choose not to feel it. Big difference. Something can touch me, but I can generate no feeling from that at a feeling level. I can see something, but I'm not going to bring that into my perception. Into I'm not going to retain it. I'm not going to create a vision in my mind of it. I see lots of things all day long that my sight captures stuff millions and millions and millions and millions of pieces of information all day long that I don't retain. I choose what to retain or not. And now instead of the guy in traffic giving me the bird, I don't choose to retain that. I choose to retain the beauty of the palm trees when I'm driving, how spectacular it is where I live. That's what I'm remembering. That I'm in heaven on earth every moment of every day. 
So it's, it's all a choice. Get, th get that, it's all a choice. <clears throat> because later on, if anyone ever should say to you, be careful about wanting, or be careful about desire, we need to be very careful about not falling into spiritual superiority. And we don't want to fall into a state of wanting because that's attachment. But a state of desire is absolutely indispensable for our existence here. And that's where we can focus on that which we desire to become our reality. Without desiring to focus on this or that, we're just like a paper plate floating on a puddle of water. That is not what we want to be because then every current of life takes us wherever the currents are going. And the currents out there, you're aware of all the different currents out there, most of them are not very pleasing currents. So we need, we need to be we need to have trimmed sails and a rudder well in hand and the propulsion of spirit backing us so that we're going in the direction that we're consciously choosing at every moment in time and that will make us deliberate creators, not by default. And every bit of suffering is creation by default because we've fallen prey to something, a thought of some, of some sort. Prey to a thought of some sort around something, someone, or some situation. Okay, any question? So we're not going to fall into believing or focusing on that which is not true. And that's why we're able to forgive it, not because we're charitable, because we've determined that's not true, it's an illusion. There's something really else different going on. We have distorted the world by our twisted defenses. My twisted defenses are based on my perceptions. That's where twisted defenses come from. Excuse me, what's twisted defense? Defensas torcidas. So, so how did my defenses get twisted? From misperception, from erred thinking. And, and even, even if it weren't twisted, if it were just defenses, that alone is unnecessary. There's nothing to defend. We don't need to be defensive, twisted or untwisted. We don't need to defend anything or be defensive about anything. To defend is to justify. There's nothing to justify. I don't need to justify myself or my behavior or my thoughts or my feelings or my actions. Especially because nobody else cares anyway. And, and, and in the justification of at, at a defensive point of view that means that I am trying to give credence and truth to something that is not real. That's what defensiveness is. To justify something is not required. It's completely unnecessary 
if it is real. Only that which is unreal, which is illusory, requires justification or vindication. If it's truth, if it's law, if it's principle, if it's source, it requires no justification. So that allows me to recognize very easily, it's a, it's a prompter, it's a, tele, it's a teleprompter in my life, a teleprompter. The moment that I feel like I need to justify something, I need to say halt. Something's not cooking right. It's on the wrong burner here. Yes? What is the quote from the course about defense and attack? Oh, I, I don't... That's getting ahead yeah. of us. Yeah, it's getting ahead of us. I can't remember the quote. It's like if I <clears throat> defend, I am attacked. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 definitely. And so I, I, I have looked ahead, yeah. and I brought up defense last time, and when this sentence refers to the our ego has, our ego has distorted the world by the defenses of the ego. And the ego is defending against the truth because the ego wants to be the truth. And when we, when our spirit realizes the ego is not the truth, the ego has to defend. It feels attacked. You know what Not a clue. 
So it's, it's really about just letting go of wanting to control everything and anything, accepting all things as they are, and focusing on my own life based on my own thinking and choosing to consciously become the innovator of my life experience as a deliberate co-creator with spirit within me. And then we're flying high through as much smog as happens to show up that day. We're just going to go above it. We're going to rise above it. That's all it is. And that's the best kind of insanity that I've been able to find. And I like to say I'm nuts because I don't qualify with the status quo of normality, normalcy, out there. I don't relate to what's normal out there. So I'm the one that's crazy. They're normal. I'm staying crazy. Okay. So we've distorted the world by our twisted defenses and are therefore seeing what is not there. As we learn to recognize our perceptual errors, we also learn to look past them or forgive. And we've explained what looking past it is all about. At the same time, we are forgiving ourselves. Why? Because we need to. We need to forgive ourselves for our errors in thinking, errors in perception, errors in action, and even forgive ourselves for forgiving someone of something that we think is unforgivable. Because at times when I have wanted to forgive someone of something that I think is unforgivable, I feel incongruent with myself. And so then I have to find forgiveness for myself for simply letting it be their truth and I do not relate to their truth on any level, nor will I adopt their truth in any manner, but I accept it for them. We agree to disagree. And I run my life every day agreeing to disagree with many, many people and many, many things all day long. It's a great thing to agree to disagree because it's stress-free living. Literally. Yeah, it's freedom. It's freedom. There is no stress when I agree to disagree with everything and everyone. And when I'm not expressing any stress of any sort, my body is in a state, and my, mi my mind first is in a state of ease, and therefore my body follows suit, and every cell, molecule, and atom of my humanity is in a state of ease. And what happens then? there is no possibility of dis-ease or disease. So, I'm pretty self-focused here. I'm, you know, and in, some, in, and in some instances, it can be considered a form of selfishness. I am selfishly taking care of myself in consciousness so that I can enjoy my human experience as much as possible, because I am no longer into suffering. I'm just all done and over it. And so if I can avoid any kind of dis-ease on any level, I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. Because I've never been able to find any reason or merit to it. The payoff was never worth it, ever, ever. So 
Blissful insanity is my motto today. <laughs> What's this? Bliss? Blissful insanity. What do you mean? That's a top. Um, blissful. Um, no. Um, locura bendita. Locura bendita. That's what I'm saying. Uh, blissful insanity would be like locura bendita. And so I want to be crazy in the happiest, best way. Blessed craziness. Blessed craziness is, is, a, is a sense of well-being no matter what is going on around me. Crazy what? Crazy wisdom. Crazy wisdom. Okay. Crazy wisdom. Yeah. They say everything is At the same time, we are forgiving ourselves, looking past our distorted self-concepts to the self, that's capital, to the self that God created, the higher self my higher self that God created in us and as us. So I stop looking at my self-concept, at my self-construct, at myself, at the illusion of myself, at the beliefs about who I am in this world, in this physical plane, and focus on the unlimited self of the I am my spirit, my soul, my beingness, which is here to express through me and as me. And it, ex it exactly says that. Self that God created in us and as us. Through me and as me and in me. I love the word beingness because it implies immediacy. It means right here, right now. Right, by adding the ness and e Right. The, 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 the um, suffix N-E-S-S added to anything brings it into the immediate manifestation of expressing as. Beingness. Blissfulness. Or loneliness. It can go either way. That means I, I am experiencing lonely in the here and now. Ness. So that's personalizing it and it's bringing it into the action of. So, the action of being is beingness. Yeah. Well, that's great. We got through that one piece. Now we're going to move into sin. <laughs> sin. In the Catholic world that I grew up in, sin was venial sin, regular sin, mortal sin, non-forgivable and forgivable sins, and then there were eh? original sin, yes, original sin, exactly. Yeah, and that one you never get rid of. The original sin you never get rid of, you kind of bathe it, you bathe it away and dilute it, but you're kind of making repentance your whole life over that one. 
that one doesn't ever seem to ever really go away because if it's original, then it's kind of in, in your state from conception onward. And I absolutely refuse to own that one. You know, all the other ones come and go. In this case, sin is going to take a whole different definition. And I'm not, I, I'm not sure if it defines it now or if it'll define it later. Well, lack of love. It defined it as lack of love. So sin is defined in this context as lack of love. And, and it's going to clarify what that is too because that's also making an error is, is sin as well. A mistake is sin. Sin is nothing more than a mistake or an error. I goofed up. So that's what sin is, making a mistake. And so we're going we're gonna to take the gravity out of the word, remove it, and, and simply say that every time we have sinned is we've made a mistake. And every mistake is forgivable. We just went through that. Even the horrific ones are forgivable. And I can forgive myself as well as everything else around me. And by forgiving all things, then how real is sin? Not very real. If all it takes is a moment of forgiveness, then it becomes irrelevant. It may be real in this construct of life, but it can become irrelevant. So if it's no longer relevant, it's no longer real. If I'm not focusing on it, if I'm not giving it importance, if it doesn't run my life, if it uh, has no effect on me directly, then how real is it? So sin is an illusion as well. Yes? Correct. When you're pointing your arrow exactly. at a target and you miss it, it's nothing but that. Exactly. Just missing the mark. Exactly. I've, I've seen that on many yeah, videos. Yep. Yeah. So, so missing, missing the mark or having fallen short in some area of life, not having done it exactly to the world's construct of perfection, which is another form of delusion. That's not even illusion. Perfection doesn't even exist. Not enough, not enough love? Not enough love. Yes. Yes. I really my house. Not enough love. It's sin. Right. So you, you, you can, wherever you are, mm -hmm. that you find that there's not enough love, mm -hmm. you can access infinite love, acceso, yes. access infinite love, love, and fill that feeling of lack within yourself, regardless of what's going on in your environment. Mm -hmm. yes. And then, to further support that, to, to further um, affirm that reality, then you can make a conscious decision to surround yourself with other human beings who are emanating love. And that will affirm your truth that life can be filled with love if you fill yourself with your own love from within and surround yourself with loving people, loving circumstances, and conditions in your life. Mm -hmm. It's a choice to live a loveless life 
or a love-filled life. Mm -hmm. It's a choice. Since love is all there is, sin in the sight of the Holy Spirit or my soul is a mistake to be corrected rather than an evil to be punished. So, a mistake in the presence or in the experience of my soul is nothing more than a mistake to be corrected. So if love is all there is, that means I am love. There's no doubt of that. Everything that is not love is not real at all. There is only one thing. It is all love. It expresses in infinite ways, and everything that is not love or appears to be not loving is simply expressing as the lack of it, the lack of love. That's why it shows up as not love. Since love is all there is, sin in the sight of the Holy Spirit is a mistake to be corrected rather than an evil to be punished. So, first, it's not even evil, because there is no evil. It's only lack of goodness or the absence of goodness. And then there's nothing to punish because we're able to forgive everything for our own sake, for our own well-being. We forgive it, therefore there's nothing to be punished ever. I don't need to punish anyone for anything. Punishment is getting even with. There's nothing to get even with. Our sense of inadequacy, our sense of inadequacy, weakness, and incompletion comes from the strong investment in the scarcity principle that governs the whole world of illusions. So, inadequacy, weakness, incompletion is a form of scarcity. It's all fear-based. It's not love-based. It's part of the delusion that something is missing when there's nothing missing. We have deluded ourselves in believing that we do not have access to the abundance that we are moment that we're that we might be envying in someone else's experience as they're demonstrating in our presence. We can say they have great health, they have great looks, they have filthy amounts of money, and we'll even label it filthy and then want it. <laughs> they're filthy rich. I would give my left arm to be like them. And so, in, in the envying of anything elsewhere, we are believing that what we're entitled to experience is scarcity. And the universe says, and so it is. And so be it. Universal mind will always say to us silently, I will never make you feel like you're crazy. I will always grant you exactly what you believe is true. That's what you're going to get. And I'm doing it because I love you so much that I don't want you to think you're crazy. So 
Just pick your thoughts and that shall be your truth. Whatever it is, so shall it be. Your mind is your own genie and your mind is always saying, your wish is my command at every moment in time. Be careful what you ask your genie for. Our sense of inadequacy, weakness, and incompletion comes from a strong investment in the scarcity principle that governs the whole world of illusions. From that point of view, we seek in others what we feel is wanting in ourselves. I'm so glad that it used the word wanting because in my life, I really distinguish the concept of wanting from a desire. I see them as being very different. I see desire as being part of my spirit expressing in the choosing of the quality of life. Whereas wanting is like yearning. It's I'm suffering because I don't have it. And so for me to be in a, want, in a state of wanting is the same as being in a state of yearning and both of them are coming from lack rather from choice. Neediness. 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 So, <clears throat> from that point of view, we seek in others what we feel is wanting in ourselves. So, I want uh, others, and that, meaning others, other people, other things, and other situations, not just other people. So, I want the the, the job that I have to make me rich rather than I want to attract a richness into my life. Different things. I want that friend to make me feel good. And if they don't, I don't want to have anything to do with that friend. I want my partner to affirm me and tell me that I'm right and agree with me. I was making that up. I don't have a partner. <laughs> so, in the wanting of, I want my car to give me self-esteem. I want my outfit to make me feel important. I want my job title to give me a sense of worth. I want the neighborhood that I live in to help me feel prestigious. All of that is illusion, pure illusion. And in a, in a manner in which it is so unfounded in truth that even if it fails ever so slightly, by the response or reaction of anything outside of me, I go into immediate disappointment and seek something greater in the same arena. It's never enough. I always need a bigger fix of that arena. I need a bigger title, a more expensive neighborhood, a more expensive car. I need to buy clothing where the labels are sewn on the outside rather than the inside. 
phrase, and I don't remember when I started being so aware of it, and and now it's like when I see it, it's it's just this huge on Facebook or whatever. Wishing. Somebody will put a somebody posted uh, they're on vacation, and the comments. Oh, I wish I was there with you. Um, decades ago now, I had a, a family member who, who is, you know, the heartfelt, sensitive type, but swinging towards that negative end and not even knowing it because she would always say, I wish we didn't live so far apart. Yeah. Now, when my brother, who's younger, and of course I'm the big sister, so I get to rule him like I always did, no matter how old he is. But some years ago, we've always lived apart. He's, he's always lived in New Jersey, and I've always lived other places. So he wasn't using I wish, but something about, you know, we got to get together more, or we got to stay in touch, or I wish we lived close, something like that. And I got to where, because I've lived here 26 years. And I said, just move down here. It's great down here. Right. And so my brother's great because we can have these great discussions. So we talked about that tendency <coughs> of wishing. And you don't even know that you're coming from the scarcity principle. Right. Right. And I, I agree completely. Even... And I add to that, I recognize that being in a state of wishing for anything or wanting for anything is true scarcity. Since everything in this plane that we're living in, for us to exist, has to have another side to it. It has to have the polar opposite. The polar opposite of wishing or wanting is simply desire. And so, Right. But, 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 but get here that the polar opposite, because two sides to the coin, one is not more valuable than the other. The coin cannot be a coin without having two sides. The blade cannot be a blade without having two edges. And so the, the desire is just as important and valuable as the wishing or the wanting is just as undesirable and unimportant. Because without the concept of desire, there would be no expansion. And, and our existence, in fact, the reason that spirit took on through soul this form of the human condition is all based on its own desire. It, 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 that God cause consciousness had to first desire to express as infinity. A desire to express as infinity. I happen to be a piece of that infinity. And the soul within me is constantly desiring to express as something. Always having the two choices, the dichotomy, the contrast available. I can express as mean or kind. I can express as generous or stingy. 
I can express as sick or health. I can express as victimy or empowered. So I'm always in every moment of every instance of my experience expressing as. And I get to choose what I desire to express as. I can choose to desire to express with a yellow shirt today instead of a blue one. And what I eat and where I go and who I call, it's all based on a desire that arises from within me, from my soul, the desire arises to experience something. And that's why I choose in my closet and I choose in my refrigerator and I choose on Amazon and I choose and choose. And I choose, I'm not going to call him right now, I'm going to call her right now. I choose because of a desire that underlies the choosing. So it's, it's really wonderful. I, I don't do the course in a real clean, rigid Course in Miracles way because I've walked so many courses in life, so many paths that I can't tell where one ends and the other begins anymore. And I can't even quote from one or the other with precision anymore because they've all become one. It's one amalgam, wonderful blending that is the richness of my spiritual experience in life. So what I've just shared with you may not show up specifically that way in the course, but you'll see that it definitely doesn't tell us that it's bad to desire or bad to experience life. It's going to tell us, create a miraculous life for yourself, one that is of joy and love, and you can transform everything that is not joyful and love-expressing into that so that your experience of life is one of wonder at all times. It doesn't tell us, denounce life and the material world. No, 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 no. Spirit chose the material world. We're here to experience the material world. So let's just find a way in every moment in time to make everything that's in the material world divine. That's, that's it. And, and to, to be able to say to somebody, you are absolutely divine, my dear. And how was your day? It was absolutely divine. And how do you like that food? It's absolutely divine. <laughs> you know, Our to have a desire is good. To have an attachment to a desire and to be miserable because we don't have it is not good. That is self-defeating. Okay, from that point of view, we seek in others what we feel is wanting in ourselves. Okay, so that's where we got started on this. So we want in the, in, in the wanting that a circumstance give us what is lacking in us, we will suffer. In the wanting that an individual is going to fulfill a lack in us, we're going to suffer. 
in the wanting that an object is going to complete us in some way, we're going to suffer. That's what this is talking about. People, situations, and objects are not to be wanted to fill any lack of experience in our lives. They're just icing on the cake. What we desire in life is nothing more than the icing on the cake. And it, it gives us the possibility of expanding our array of experiences so that we can upload it back to consciousness as the mirroring that it has chosen to do from the macro to the micro in the world of creative expression. We are here to express in creation just like God's source has expressed a creation that we're living in. So, desire is divine. Like everything else, can be thrown into the wrong construct and taken out of context and therefore become suffering. So, when, when Bevy were talking about the word wish and wishing for things, I've eradicated the word from my vocabulary, wish. And when I want to tell someone that I desire for them nothing but well-being, I say to them, I trust that we will see one another very soon. Or I trust you are going to have an absolutely glorious day today. I don't say, I wish you a good day today. No. To that point, in my consciousness, I've chosen to substitute a word that I want to have more meaning for me. Yeah. We love another in order to get something ourselves. That, in fact, is what passes for love in the dream world, this illusory world that we're living in. There can be no greater mistake than that, for love is incapable of asking for anything. That paragraph is enough for a year's worth of work, and we're going to stop here and leave that to start there next time. Yeah. So thank you for making this possible for me today. Yeah, it was my joy to be here in this process with you. I, I become elevated to greater heights as a gift of your mirroring back to me. Thank you so much.